Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Brazos Fellowship. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, isn't uh, winning so much better than losing, by the way? Yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Well, listen, my name is Sam. I'm the adult ministries director here at Brazos Fellowship. And uh, I don't know if you can believe this or not, but Christmas is four weeks from today. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that's insane, right? Well, next week, we start Christmas here at Brazos Fellowship. Pastor Will will be back, and he'll be starting our Christmas series called The Purpose of Christmas. And that's going to go for the following three Sundays and then conclude on Christmas Eve, which is a Saturday this year. So I want you to make plans now to be here for Christmas at Brazos Fellowship and invite somebody you know. Invite somebody you know who maybe needs a little bit of hope, needs a little bit of peace or joy in their life this Christmas season. Uh, But that'll start next week. Plan on being back then. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I learned something about myself on Thanksgiving Day. Actually, I shouldn't say I learned it. I already knew it, but it really rose to the surface on Thanksgiving Day, uh, on Thursday. So I love Thanksgiving. It's uh, in my family. We really kind of just focus on three things, eating, sitting, and watching football. And, and uh, yeah, those are three things I can really get behind. So I love Thanksgiving. And so we had eaten our, our meal, and we were sitting in the living room watching football, and, um, you know, I began to crave something sweet, and uh, that's so easy on Thanksgiving, right? Because, you know, pecan pie, and so I went to the kitchen and got a piece of pecan pie and took it back to the living room with me, sat down and ate that pecan pie, and a few minutes later, I had that kind of sweet aftertaste in my mouth, and I thought, you know, I could really go for something salty. So I, so I went back to the kitchen, you know, get some Chex Mix or some chips and dip and go back and enjoy that, and After a while, I think, you know, what would really balance that out is something sweet. (laughs) Back to the kitchen, and I find myself in this cycle of like a sweet snack, salty snack. I can get away with that on Thanksgiving. I don't get away with that any other time of the year. But that's a cycle I just kind of get stuck in. Can anybody else relate to that? If, if not, maybe, maybe there are some other cycles that we all find ourselves stuck in from time to time. Maybe you can relate to one of these. Maybe, maybe uh, you just experienced this this morning, right? Needs more milk. No, it needs more cereal now. It's a frustrating one. Or maybe this one. I, I can't really relate to this one, but I uh, don't have bangs. I'm bored. going to get the bangs. This is okay. What have I done? All right. Anybody on that? Uh, on to the bangs and no bangs. How, how about this one? This is one that, that uh, I can relate to a little bit. This is for the introverts in the room. If you're an introvert, I'm one of you. This is a safe place. All right, extroverts, you're not going to understand this, but I should go out. I'm socializing. This is awkward. Never again. And then a few weeks later, I should go out. I should be around people, right? So we all find ourselves trapped in cycles sometimes, right? And sometimes those are just silly cycles. And sometimes they're a bit more serious. As a matter of fact, there are probably some cycles you found yourself trapped in that you wouldn't want to admit out loud. But I think there's one that we've all been stuck in from time to time. And it looks something like this. 
So something happens, and that something can be a sin in our life. It can be a bad circumstance. It can be something that you have absolutely no control over. But something happens, and there's consequences, right? That the consequence might be shame and guilt if it's a sin. The consequence might be bitterness and anger if it's some, a bad circumstance, something tragic that happens. But we feel far from God as a result. We feel far from God, and eventually we kind of get to the end of our rope, and in desperation, we do something to try to either make God happy with us again, to please God, or to draw closer to God. So we'll pray, we'll go to church, we'll do something to try to invite God back into the rhythm of our life. And things seem to get better because God loves us, and he wants to, he wants to be a part of our life, and he wants to help us, and things get better. And so we feel close to God again, or maybe you don't feel close to God, but maybe you just don't feel quite as far from God, right? But then ultimately, what happens? Something else happens, and we get stuck in this cycle over and over and over and over again. Listen, it's, it's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's happened to our parents and our grandparents. It's been happening for generations throughout all of human history. And over the next few minutes, I want to look at one example, one of many examples, by the way, that we can find in the Old Testament uh, of this happening to the Israelite nation and specifically uh, to the king at the time Jehoahaz. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. Now, 2 Kings is uh, really, it's the sequel to 1 Kings. That's fairly obvious, right? But 1 and 2 Kings are some historical documents that were written to kind of give an, a, an, a historical account of the nations of Judah and Israel. We don't know for sure who wrote 1 and 2 Kings, but a lot of scholars believe it was uh, likely the prophet Jeremiah. They were written between 560 and 540 B.C. And so as we're reading through 2 Kings, we get to chapter 13, and we get a little glimpse into the life of King Jehoahaz. It's important as you're reading through 1 and 2 Kings to understand that when you read through these accounts, the kings of these nations, the king represents the people. So as the king goes, so goes the people. So we can think of it as like one person. The nation is one person. So we get a glimpse into the life of King Jehoahaz in 2 Kings chapter 13, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, began to rule over Israel in the 23rd year of King Joash's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 17 years. So this is just a little, kind of a little historical context. A, a little over 100 years before Jehoahaz's reign, the kingdom was united, all right? There was just one nation comprised of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the nation had divided after King Saul, King David, and then King Solomon. The nation divided into two. So two tribes composed of the southern kingdom of Judah, and their capital city was Jerusalem. The other 10 tribes... Uh, composed the northern kingdom of Israel, and they established their capital city of Samaria, all right? And so uh, this is happening. Uh, Jehoahaz is reigning for 17 years, and it goes on, and we get a summary of his life. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Not a very flattering summary, is it? He followed the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. And so we see the beginning, the start of this cycle in the, in the life of Jehoahaz and in the nation of Israel. And remember, it's not just Jehoahaz who is doing evil, it's the entire nation doing evil, and we know exactly what they're doing. They're continuing the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. 
Okay, so let's go back. You remember I just said the nation had divided from a united kingdom to a divided kingdom. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom uh, of uh, Judah, all right? So Jeroboam has this incredible opportunity when the kingdom divides. God promises Jeroboam that he's going to bless him, that he's going to give him an enduring dynasty if he will just follow and obey God, all right? So that's the promise that God gives him. Jeroboam, though, doesn't trust God completely. So Jeroboam, first thing he does is he establishes his capital city. He builds his capital city. Right after that, the next thing Jeroboam does is he builds two golden calves and sets them up in Israel. And he tells the people of Israel, if you'll go and worship these golden calves, that will be your worship to God. And here's why. For generations, the Israelite people had gone to the temple to make their sacrifice to God. Well, the temple was where? It was in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam was afraid that if the people continued to make that, tri- that, make that trip to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices to God, to worship God, that eventually they would give their allegiance to the king of the southern kingdom. And so as a way to try to protect his dynasty, despite what God had told him, and in the name of making worship convenient, he builds these golden calves and says, worship these golden calves and God will accept that. And so that is the sin that Jeroboam led the nation of Israel to commit. And we see that Jehoahaz is doing the same thing over a hundred years later. And every time with sin, there's consequences. And we see that in verse three. So, This is the consequence. The Lord was very angry with Israel, and he allowed King Hazael of Aram and his son Ben-Hadad to defeat them repeatedly. So Israel had been in an ongoing war with Aram, or Syria, which was a country just to the north of Israel. And the war had been really about trade routes. And so the consequence of the sin is that God allows Aram to repeatedly defeat Israel. And as you can imagine, this creates chaos for the people of Israel. They're living in fear. They're living in fear for their lives. And in many cases, they left their homes and went to live in hiding to protect themselves. And not only fear of their lives, because it was all about trade routes, the economy of Israel went into ruins. So things were not going well. Well, we see what happens next in verse 4. Then Jehoahaz prayed for the Lord's help. Come on, you've done this, right? I've done this. Something bad happens, and we don't know where else to go. And so we pray. We go to God. Other translations say that Jeroboam sought the Lord's face, that he pleaded with the Lord. The implication here is that he was utterly desperate. He didn't know where else to turn. He was at the end of his rope. How many times do we go to God when we're at the end of our rope? Well, that's what Jehoahaz does here. And then we get this beautiful picture of the character and the nature of God in the rest of this verse. He prayed for the Lord's help, and the Lord heard his prayer, for he could see how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. This is incredible because we know that Jehoahaz was not a godly person, right? The summary of his life is that he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But still, God heard his prayer. 
It wasn't because of anything Jehoahaz had done. It was because the nature of God is that he has an unchangeable, unstoppable love and care and compassion and mercy for his people. And so not only does God listen, he also responds. It goes on in verse 5. So the Lord provided someone to rescue the Israelites from the tyranny of the Arameans. Then Israel lived in safety again, as they had in former days. So God steps in. He intervenes. And remember, it's not because of anything Jehoahaz had done. It was because it's his nature. He is full of mercy and compassion, and he's always faithful to his promises. And he had made a promise generations ago. As a matter of fact, in verse 23 of chapter 13, we see kind of a summary of these events. Here's what that says. But the Lord was gracious and merciful. So that's his nature, his character. He was gracious and merciful to the people of Israel, and they were not totally destroyed. He pitied them because of his covenant or his promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he was going to be faithful to his promise. So we don't really know exactly what happened, But what we know is that God sends an unknown deliverer. He sends someone, the scripture says, to rescue Israel. I think it's worth noting here that you don't have to have a great name to do a great work for God. Please don't ever get trapped into thinking that God cannot use you. All right? So God sends an unknown, an unnamed deliverer who saves Israel, and things get better. The Israelites can live in safety again. They begin to move back into their homes, all right? The economy begins to recover. Things are going well. So to recap, up to this point, we've got something happened, okay? That was the sin, the sin of idolatry. We have the consequence. God allows Aram to defeat Israel repeatedly. We have Jehoahaz pleading with God, All right, he had gotten to the end of his rope, and in desperation, he asked God for help. God steps in. He sends someone. Now things are getting better, all right? So that's the cycle up to this point. Israel has an opportunity to break free from this cycle. Let's see what happens in the very next verse, verse 6. But they continued to sin, following the evil example of Jeroboam. And this cycle starts again. And if we were to keep reading in this account, chapter 13, we see that the Arameans attack with even more determination. And the Israelite army grows weaker and weaker and weaker. And we look at this, right? We look at this now from the outside, and we say, it's it's so obvious, right? This is so obvious, guys. Just stop worshiping the golden cows. God has promised to bless you. He's promised to give you an enduring dynasty. He's promised to be with you. If you'll just follow him, if you'll just obey him, why do you keep doing the same thing over and over and over? Why are you not willing to break out of this cycle when God gives you the opportunity? Well, here's why. The Israelites had not figured out what a relationship of consistent and complete trust looks like. They hadn't figured out what that kind of a relationship looked like. We see this over and over through their history. I mean, they knew God, right? They knew the law as children. They had to memorize the law. 
intellectually, they knew that God was all-powerful. Why do you think they went to him in desperation when they needed help? Because they knew that God could save them. They knew God intellectually. But trust is not an intellectual exercise. Trust is a matter of the heart. And our hearts so often don't allow us to trust what we know intellectually to be true and right. Isn't that true? We get this uh, description of the Israelite people that God gives to the prophet Isaiah. And we have it recorded in Isaiah chapter 29. God describes the Israelites like this. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, he says. They know the right things to say. They know the right things to do, but they don't trust me he says. There's not a relationship of consistent and complete trust. And ladies and gentlemen, I think we often struggle with the same exact thing. And so we repeat similar cycles. We sin, we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel far from God, eventually we'll cry out to God in desperation, and it's God's nature, right? to hear our, our call to him, to hear our prayer. Eventually things will get better. And then we just repeat the same cycles over and over and over again. So how can we break out of that cycle? I think a better question would be, how can we begin to learn to figure out what a relationship of complete and consistent trust with God looks like? And I have to say this before anything else, is it's not a one and done fix. There's not anything that you can say or do right now to fix this for the rest of your life. It's a daily pursuit. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they've got to deny themselves. They've got to take up their cross, and he uses this word, daily, and follow me. It's a daily pursuit, and it requires daily habits, daily disciplines in our lives. Daily times just to connect with God. So if you find yourself in this cycle where you feel close to God and then far from God, and then close to God and then far from God, and maybe it's a circumstance, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's something you have no control over, but over and over you're just stuck in this cycle. Or maybe for you it feels more like a roller coaster ride where there's just constant ups and downs, ups and downs, right? If you find yourself in that cycle, in that pattern, Take an honest look at your life and ask yourself, what are the disciplines that I'm uh, incorporating into my life daily, consistently, to try to connect with God, to grow my relationship with God, to trust Him more? Well, I think there's so much we can learn from our friend Jehoahaz back in 2 Kings chapter 13 about one habit in particular that I want us to land on for the next few minutes. And by the way, it's a, it's a habit or discipline that Jesus incorporated into his own life, and that is the spiritual habit of prayer. See, Jehoahaz prayed, you remember? He prayed when things got really bad, he called out to God, he begged for help, and mercifully God heard and answered his prayer. But when Jehoahaz prayed, he prayed as a response to his circumstance, right? And what he asked for was to be rescued from his circumstance. 
Jehoahaz did not pursue a relationship with God. He was not trying to connect with God. There's no evidence in his life that he ever tried to build a relationship of trust with God. What Jehoahaz uh, wanted, he did not want God. What Jehoahaz wanted was, was what God could give him. He just wanted God's stuff. He didn't want God. But the truth is, and here it is, an occasional call for help is not a substitute for a daily life of trust. An occasional call for help can never substitute for a daily life of trust because an occasional call for help is just part of the cycle, right? It's just part of the cycle that we find ourselves in over and over and over. And God wants us to call for help and he's gonna respond to those calls because of his grace and his mercy and his love for us. But there's a, there's a principle, and I forget this so often. I forget this so often. I, I don't know why uh, I forget this, but I do, and I think we all do maybe. And I really didn't fully understand this until I became a dad almost 17, or a little over 17 years ago. Um, so uh, my, my daughter, and parents, listen, parents, you'll know this. You'll get this. If you're not a parent, lean in. I want you to kind of try to feel this just a little bit. But parents, for sure, you're going to get this. My daughter, when she needs something, she'll let me know. The best she can, right? As a baby, she would cry. She would scream. As she grew up, she would use her words, right? Now, as a teenager, more often than not, it comes via a text message. (laughs) But she's going to let me know that she needs something. She's going to ask for help. And so if she needed her diaper changed, she would let me know that she needs her diaper changed. And because I'm her dad and because I love her, I would want to change her diaper for her. And if she was hungry, she would let me know that she was hungry. And because I love her, I would feed her. Not because it's what I wanted to do necessarily. Most of the time, I wanted to sleep then, right? But I would feed her because I'm her dad and I love her. And as she grew up and used her words a little bit more, maybe with school, she would ask for help with homework. I don't know why she asked me and not her mom, but she did. And so to the best of my ability, I would help her with her homework because I'm her dad and I love her. And now, every once in a while, I get a text message. Hey, I'm out. I'm going to go out to eat with friends. I need some money. Can you put some money in my account? And as her dad, I want to help her, right? And listen, parents, we don't always give them what they ask for, do we? We can't. We want to. if, If we're being completely honest, I hate saying no to my kids. We just don't like to do that, but we have to at times, right? Because we can, we know things and we can see things that they can't know and that they can't see. And ultimately, I love my daughter and I want what's best for her. So sometimes that's a no, right? But as her dad, I love her. But here's what I learned. Here's what I learned a long time ago when my daughter first started crawling and walking. And I'll never forget this. My absolute favorite times with my daughter were the times that she would scoot across the living room floor, lift herself up onto the edge of my chair, crawl up into the chair, sit in my lap just to be with me. She didn't want anything. She just wanted me. Come on, moms and dads, you know this, right? It doesn't happen as often as they get, as they get older, right? But you know this. These are our favorite times as parents and we have a heavenly father who wants to be with us and he wants us to just want to be with him what if we approach prayer as a way to connect with God to just be with God 
and not just as a way to ask for help in our circumstance or an escape from our circumstance. Listen, we're going to pray those prayers, right? God wants us to pray those prayers. He tells us to pray those prayers. But what if we approached prayer as a way to just be with God? What if we built into our lives consistent times, daily times, just to crawl up into the recliner with our Heavenly Father just to be with Him? I think it's in those moments that that relationship of trust begins to grow. I'm going to do one more thing over the next few minutes. I just want to share one simple approach to prayer that I've learned and I've incorporated into my life, a way that's really helped me connect on a regular basis, on a daily basis with God, and to grow that relationship of trust with God. And if you have an approach to prayer, keep doing what's working for you. But if you don't, or maybe you're somebody who would say, I really don't even know how to pray, I think this can be helpful. Or maybe you would honestly say, you know what, 100% of my prayers are just asking God for help. I think this might be helpful for you. And it's simply an approach using four simple questions. And I've used these four questions before. I've talked about them with some other spiritual disciplines. I think they're so helpful in so many ways. But those four questions are simply, who is God? What has God done? Who am I? And what do I do? A great way to just start Spending time connecting with God is to start by asking, who is God? And really reflect on the character and the nature of God. Praise Him for who He is. Listen, I hear people all the time talk about what an incredible experience their time of worship was, singing the songs of worship was. And I believe it. It's an incredible experience. And sometimes we get emotional during those times, right? Uh, At least I do. The the last song we sang uh, just a minute ago, Deliverer, praising God for being our deliverer. That was one of those songs for me. And the reason why is because, remember, trust is a matter of the heart. And so as we praise God for who he is, we're going to grow to trust him a little bit more for who he is. And so we want to start by just asking, who is God? Praise God for who he is, and then ask the question, what has God done? Think about what God has done for you, and thank him for that. Maybe God has delivered you from a really bad circumstance. Maybe God's carried you through some difficult times. Maybe he's provided for you. Listen, I I think the more we remember what God has done for us, we grow in our trust for him because we remember how faithful and trustworthy he is. So who is God? What has God done? And then who am I? Spend some time recognizing and reflecting on your identity. I'm talking about your identity true identity, what's true about you based on who God is and what God has done. So we'll go back to the song from just a few minutes ago. We're praising God for being our deliverer, right? He's delivered us. He's delivered me, and I can think through times where God has delivered me and thank him for those times. And then I just want to recognize and think about my own identity. Number one, I'm deliverable. Have you ever thought about yourself as being deliverable? redeemable, savable. You are. That's the truth about your identity. I'm never alone. God doesn't abandon me. I'm not abandoned. I'm never left on my own. Think about your identity. And as I do that in these times of just connecting with God, it helps me take a posture of humility before God, and it helps my trust in God to grow. And then the fourth question, what do I do? This is where we spend time just asking God for guidance. 
Ask God for guidance. Maybe it is a difficult circumstance you're in. Ask God, God, what do I do to get through this circumstance rather than just rescue me, save me from the circumstance? What do you want me to do? How do you want to use this circumstance in my life? Maybe it's simply asking God, God, what does it look like for me today to deny myself? What does it look like for me to take up my cross today? That's a prayer we should all be praying every day. But ask God for guidance, and then, and this is so important, and then listen. Give God time to speak to you. Because if we're going to ask for guidance, we need to allow God to respond. There's three main ways that God speaks to us. The first is through the Bible, through His Word. God will speak to us through His Word. So I, I like to just build in times of my day connecting with God, just reading God's Word. Allow God to speak to me through His Word. The second way that God speaks to us is through His Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you to guide you, to convict you, and to comfort you. And God will speak to you through the Holy Spirit. Yet the third way that God speaks to us is through other people who love God and trust God. This is is why it's so important to have spiritual friends in your life. And I would say, I would take it a step further and say, your inner circle should be exclusively other people who love God and trust God because God will speak to you through them. And listen, I have to say this also, no matter how well-intentioned they are, if somebody says something to you and you think maybe God's speaking to me through them, but it doesn't uh, agree with what God has already spoken through his word, then that's not God speaking to you or you've heard it wrong. Or the same thing when you're discerning the Holy Spirit in your life. I think the Holy Spirit's telling me something. If it doesn't agree with God's word, God never contradicts himself. So you're hearing the Holy Spirit wrong. But allow God to speak to you when you ask, what do I do now? Listen, this is just an approach. It's a simple approach that's worked really well for me, just in developing the habit, the daily habit of spending time connecting with God, trying to grow that relationship of consistent trust and complete trust in God. The key principle, though, is not four questions. The key principle is not an approach. The key principle is this. An occasional call for help is not a substitute for a daily life of trust. That's the key thing, guys, because an occasional call for help is just part of the cycle that we find ourselves in, right? That's what that occasional call for help is. And God has created us. He's created you for way more than just this repeating cycle of feeling close to God, far from God, close to God, far from God. God has created you to have a close, personal, intimate relationship of trust with him. That's what he wants for you. But God is never going to force that on us. We have to take a step of faith towards God. And I think the best way we can take that step towards God is through building in daily habits just to connect with God, to grow to trust God more every single day. And one of the best places to start there is the daily habit or discipline of prayer, and specifically prayer to connect with God. So the four questions, that's just a tool. The key principle, though, is that we all need to build in something to have a daily life of trust with God. As we close today, I would love for you to consider making this prayer, your commitment to God. God, I want you more than I want what you can give me. Wow, that's huge. Maybe you've never thought about that before. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. Maybe this wouldn't be an honest prayer for you. Maybe for you, an honest prayer would be, God, I want 
to want you more than what you can give me. Help me to get there. I commit to a daily habit of prayer to connect with you. Help me to trust you more every day. As we pray together, would you just consider making this your prayer of commitment to God today? Let's pray. God, I, I, I genuinely do want you more than I want what you can give me. But I confess there are times where I don't, so help me just to want to want you on a daily basis. God, I want to commit to have a daily time of prayer just to connect with you, just to crawl up into the recliner and sit in your lap just to be with you. And God, I know that's so hard for so many of us because it just requir it requires time and we're busy. But God, it's so important. Help us, to, help us to just build those times, those intentional times into our lives every day just to be with you, to connect with you, to grow our relationship with you, to grow, to trust you more, God, because as we do that, we're gonna be able to break free from these cycles that we find ourselves in over and over and over again. Help us, God, to learn to trust you more. And if there's an area of my life that I don't trust you fully, would you just show me right now, God? And if there's an area of anybody in this room right now, anybody that can hear this prayer watching online, if there's a part of their life where they're not trusting you fully, would you just reveal it to them right now? God, help us to learn to trust you more. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never started a relationship with God. God wants to have that relationship with you, and he's made a way to have that relationship with you through sending his son, Jesus. And so today, if you want to step into that relationship, start that relationship with God for the very first time, you can do that by, by praying a prayer, something like this. And I want you to remember, it's not words that we say, remember? This is a matter of the heart. So if you'll pray this prayer and really mean it, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Say something like, God, I trust you. I trust that you sent Jesus to die for the forgiveness of sins. And my sins were included. God, would you please forgive my sins? I want to be your child. And I want to follow you. And if you just prayed that prayer, meant it from your heart as an act of trust, as an act of faith, the Bible says that you're a new person, that you have a brand new relationship with God as your heavenly father. You are a child of God, a part of the family of God. Just as an act of faith right now, I would love to pray for you. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I've got a brand new relationship with God that I just stepped into by trusting him today. God, thank you. Thank you for changing hearts. Thank you for changing lives. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with us, for wanting to be with us and wanting us to want to be with you. This week, help us to begin to incorporate this discipline of just daily time of connecting with you, growing a relationship of consistent and complete trust with you so that we can break out of these cycles that we find ourselves in. We love you, God. Thank you so much. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Guys, thanks for being here today. Remember, next week, uh, we'll start the Christmas series, The Purpose of Christmas. We'll see you then. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.